If you'd like to pick up your pew Bible and turn to page 652, that's Jeremiah 25, unless you have a large print pew Bible, which there's like four of them out there, mostly on this side. I'm pointing at you, pulpit side. So check the front cover. You might have to find Jeremiah 25 on your own. As we continue to try to figure out why pastor keeps saying the wrong page numbers, I found out, right? There's two sets of Bibles in the pews. Anyway, Jeremiah 25, it's right in the middle of the book. uh, And it is a moment in history that I want to tell you about as we try to wrestle with this prophet of repentance. Jeremiah's ministry is not one I can imagine any pastor wanting. Basically, his entire ministry is to go into the greatest mega church there ever was and preach there while God destroys it. And while he's there preaching that it's going to be destroyed and watching it be destroyed, he has to have everybody there hate him for this. Then he gets to live through it and on the other side, send messages to some of those who survived saying, here's what's going to happen next. As a result, his book is, it's a hard book. It's, it's not a fun read. It's not butterflies and daffodils and everything great. Although there are some incredible, beautiful promises in it, but they're like these golden nuggets in a bunch of, of rock. And that rock is there to smash and to break and to pull you down. Now, this being the season of Lent, that's not a bad message for us to be broken down. To repent, to see the fact that no matter what age we live in, we are reliant on God overlooking what we really are and giving us salvation through the midst of it. And I think, it's my opinion, but I think the particular times in which we live make that doubly obvious. Christ our Lord said a few moments ago that a house divided against itself cannot stand A nation divided against itself shall fall. I mean, come on. Look at us. Not St. Paul. Look at us, United States. We're more divided than than I can remember in my lifetime. So what is the message? Well, the message is not, well, the United States ought to do this so that more of that can happen. The message is, hey, you Christians in the United States, do you still believe in your God or you only believe in the United States? And are you going to turn to your God in the midst of these times of uncertainty? Or are you going to try to prop up the falling house with your own hands? Because again, the more that they tried to prop up Jerusalem with their own hands, the more it came down around their ears. Okay, let's get to some of that story. Let's get to some of that story. Jeremiah chapter 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah... That's the southern kingdom. Remember, Israel used to be much larger. Now it's smaller. It's just in the south. It's run mainly by the tribe of Judah, but there's Benjaminites and Simeonites and Levites that are there. All of Israel's there, but in small number. This is concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Uh, if you've been here a few, a few years, you should know who Nebuchadnezzar is by now. He's the great king of Babylon. He's mentioned in the book of Daniel. According to a prophecy he gets, he's the pinnacle of all earthly kingdoms. No earthly kingdom will be as great as it was to live in golden Babylon. 
Nebuchadnezzar comes into his own under his father, Nebuchadnezzar, overcoming what before that was a tremendous thousand-year reign of a kingdom called Assyria. And not only does he destroy Assyria, he also goes and subjugates Egypt, another ancient kingdom with a lot of power. And guess what lies right between Assyria and Egypt? Oh, Jerusalem, there you are. And so as he's going along to take over these great ancient powers, he's taking everything he can get. And so he comes to Jerusalem with a big army, and it's in about this fourth year of Jehoiakim, and he subjugates Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim, if you remember from two years ago, this is J1. We talked about J1 and J2. This is J1, Jehoiakim with a K. He sees this big army. He knows he can do nothing about it. And so he submits. He says, do you need some gold, Nebuchadnezzar? Here's some gold. You need some silver? Here's some silver. You want me to pay tribute? I'll pay tribute. Oh, you want all the best students in our schools? Here's Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach. You should take these guys. Put them in your school. Oh, you need some of the virgins? Take them too. And so he gives up a whole band of exiles, the people of the Jews, the first ones they go to Babylon during this time right here. Yeah. But Jehoiakim, he gets to stay as king, as vassal to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we're going to back up a little bit. Jehoiakim is the son of a name you really should remember. Josiah. Say it. Josiah. Josiah is the great Reformation king of the Old Testament. He's the one who, after he has come into his power and has begun tearing down the idols and putting it back into place what he knew of the worship of the true God, he finds, not himself, one of his priests, finds in the basement of the temple the book of Moses, which they hadn't seen for over a generation. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. They find the Old Testament. And he runs his garments and he falls on the ground and he says to all his commanders, we got to do this right now. They call fasts. They have a great assembly. They celebrate the Passover like it had never been celebrated before. And as a result, God's oath that he swore to Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, that, that Babylon would come and destroy Jerusalem and Judah, it doesn't happen during Josiah's lifetime. I want you to kind of imbibe that spirit a little bit. Whatever wrath the Lord has planned in any given time, he will stay his hand for the sake of the prayers of a few righteous people. Huh? That's what I want us to be on this corner, St. Paul. I want us to be that salt and light saying, Jesus, spare us. Whatever might come, Jesus, spare us. That's who Josiah is. And now Jehoiakim, his son, one of them, uh, not such a great guy. No sooner does he have power that he begins putting all of the idols back, tearing down all of the true worship, and that's even before he gets subjugated to Babylon. After he's subjugated to Babylon, he continues these practices, and he is such a deceitful wretch that he immediately begins plotting to rebel against Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, here's the money, here's the people, I swear undying loyalty to you. Hey, Egypt, you want to help? Let's get together. Go get this guy off. And he starts putting those plans into place. Now, to, to finish the story, before we go back to the words that he gets during this time from Jeremiah, to finish the story, uh, he will die just around the time that Nebuchadnezzar has had enough of it and is coming to take him out of office. And his son, Jehoiachin, J2, with a CH instead of a K, right? He's but a boy, now in charge of this city with an army against him. 
What does he do? He surrenders. He ends up being taken away as captive. It's from him that Jesus will be descended eventually. He never returns, but he does get made a kind of a puppet prince in the Babylonian courts. He gets taken away captive and his uncle, this is Jehoiakim, J1's brother, Josiah's other son, Zedekiah, he gets put on the throne as another vassal to Nebuchadnezzar. He swears and die in loyalty. He says, I'll love you forever. You're the best king I ever had. And then what does he do? He plots to rebel. And at this point, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm done wasting my time with this little backwoods kingdom. And he comes and he rips down the walls and he burns the temple and he kills as many people as he can. And the rest, he takes away slaves. That's the end of the story for 70 years. And that's what Jeremiah had been preaching would happen. Because remember, that's under Zedekiah, who's after Jehoiachin, who's after Jehoiakim. And this word right now is to Jehoiakim. All right, here it goes. Verse 3. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, Jeremiah, He's been preaching to them this whole time, all the way through Josiah's Reformation. And I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophet, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Verse 6, do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger and the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 8, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations, and I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole Land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's Jesus talking. That's Jesus talking. That's an image of hell. All of it is just a picture of what the bigger story is. It's not about Judah and Jerusalem and that little strip of land over there. It's about paradise, Eden, being lost and us being exiled from it. And him telling us in the exile, sit still, build houses, trust me, I'll get you out. But many don't want out of this veil of tears. They'd rather live here forever. They keep trying to. Maybe you haven't heard yet of the transhumanist movement. 
you're worried about politics at all, you should figure out what this one's about because it has nothing to do with nation states and everything to do with lots of people with money who want to become partial computers and live forever. They got the money to do it. They got the money to move things to do it. And well, if you're into conspiracy theories, go have fun with that one. But the point again is there are plenty of people who want to live here forever. They will not listen to God saying, this is a sinful place. This is a veil of tears. This is a desert waste. I'll bring you out. I'll send you back to Eden. I'll put you in prayer. I have. I've done it all. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you the rest. Right? It's in my hands. It's in my feet. It's in the stripes on my side, the thorny crown I wore. But there will be those who do not hear it. So from that big cosmic picture, shrink it down now to the American church. And by this, I don't just mean St. Paul, although I want us to see our history as part of this, but I also mean the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which has gone through a demographic collapse over the last two generations. That is, there used to be lots of us, and now there's very few of us. And it's not just us, it's every church body in the Western Hemisphere that has consistently said, yes, the Bible, it's a nice story. Yes, the Bible, it's good. You could even read part of it. But true? Mm. What's really true is that all people are going to the same place, right? Or what's really true is that uh, we just need to love each other. Love's all you need, you know, that kind of thing. So pulling back again to our history at St. Paul, though, let me just sucker punch it. It's Lent, okay? Why do you think we lost that old building? Do you know God took it from us? That's the only possible truth, is that God took it from us. Why would God take away this amazing, beautiful building with that great organ and the beautiful altar and this amazing space where we all sit? There was, I mean, the parking lot, I guess, needed a little work. But, like, why would he do that? It has to be because we were part of a people of unclean lips, a civilization rejecting his word, and we had our heads in the sand. We had our heads in the sand. Now, St. Paul, credit to you. When I first came to you preaching, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep pretending. You heard me. And so I believe you are those who were listening to Jeremiah as he preached and probably fleeing the city of Jerusalem so that they wouldn't be there when all this stuff went down. And that, in fact, happened. But now, again, let that history inform where our greater history is right now as part of the American church. Why is the American church collapsing? Why are its leaders afraid to speak? Why don't we hear people preaching the scriptures? I mean, I don't think it's that hard. It is. got to work on it. But it shouldn't be only a few places. We're blessed, St. Paul. We have people moving here from New York and Minnesota and other places just to go to church here. Do you know that? Now, that's an amazing thing. And it's a terribly tragic thing. Because that shouldn't have to be. It wasn't like that. What happened? And again, before I try to say this or that or this, this, that's not the point. I don't want any of us to just be like, well, it was this one thing and those people over there. Like, that doesn't help us. 
It's do we see that God's the one bringing down the destruction right now with all the vengeance he brought it down on Jerusalem and all the vengeance he brought down on Sodom and Gomorrah? And are we at least willing to say, yep, we deserve it. Would you please save us? Because he will. He will. But not if we say we don't deserve it. Let's look at another text here. Turn to uh, chapter 28. There's a number of stories that pop into Jeremiah. And this is, this is one, I, if you've seen it, you know it, but most people haven't seen it. And it's, it's kind of a fun one. Uh, uh, if stories about false prophets can be fun. Okay. So, uh, so in that same year, not the one we just heard, right? The beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. This is after that boy king has been taken away captive. This is the uncle who's been put on the throne who immediately says, you know, we could probably cast him off if we try hard enough, get rid of that other king. In the beginning of that year, Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, he's a prophet, from Gibeon, spoke to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord that's at the temple, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, right? So, so everybody's gathered together. You got the new king. You're in the worship space. And someone stands up and he says this. And he, he has the right to speak. This is a guy who's a prophet, or so everybody believes. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. That's J2, Jehoiachin's his other name. I will bring him back, king of Judah. And all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So you can maybe see why Zedekiah thought it was okay to rebel. His prophets were telling him, God is with you. You didn't do anything wrong. In fact, God's on your side. Just keep doing what you're doing. It'll be fine. Hmm? Verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests. I mean, call the the, the ballsiness of Jeremiah to stand up and do this, forgive me, but again, it's just his, his chutzpah is really something. He's in front of all these people. I'd be, I'd be shaking my knees. He stood up and all the people were standing in the house of the Lord and the prophet Jeremiah said, amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Because you see what he did there? He said, let's wait two years. Let's see what happens. You say it's peace. I say, let's wait two years. And do you remember? Anybody remember what happens to a prophet who prophesies something that doesn't happen? What they're supposed to do to that guy? You kill him without mercy. That's their law. 
They say, man, may it be. Let's wait. Let's wait and watch. Then, verse 10, the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. So Jeremiah has been walking around with like an oxen yoke on his back. And he's basically already said, this is what God's going to do to all of us. He's going to make us slaves underneath Babylon, right? And so Hananiah says, no, the yoke is broken. He takes that now. He takes that yoke off Jeremiah's neck and breaks it. So he's trying to make it clear. No, no, I speak for God. I do, not you, Jeremiah. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, verse 11 again, thus says the Lord, even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord. You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. There's a lot there. It's, it's, it's a good story. Don't miss Jeremiah's got a yoke of wood. He says, repent. If they repent, God's promise through Jeremiah multiple times, they won't be taken away the same way. The city will be allowed to live just under exile. They just won't be kings of their own. They'll just have to serve Babylon, but he'll mitigate the punishment. But along comes someone who says, nah, 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 we can do it. We'll be fine. And he breaks that wood and God says, all right, fine. You don't want wood, you get iron. And so indeed, as will happen, the city will be torn down stone for stone. And people will be starving with such a great starvation that they will eat their children in pots. They will boil them after they're dead. It's horrifying, horrifying history. Huh? Now, through all of this, ah, before I go there, I want to apply this again to us now. Do you think life's in a bad spot right now? I, I don't know. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're not following the news. Uh, maybe you just go to work and you're happy and it's all good and you don't mind. But I can't help but hear the stories. And the stories are bad. It looks bad. And we're supposed to be really worried about it. I actually believe they want the stories to be bad because they make us afraid. And when we're afraid, we're easy to manipulate. We're easy to move. Yeah. But, okay. So whatever the worst you can imagine is. Well, let me just, this isn't even the worst. I'll just give you a little bit though. But I've seen pictures of California, my home state. I miss San Diego. Uh, but I, I don't miss the gas prices. Now, Illinois, I know we got it bad, but, you know, $8, $9, 
Close to breaking $10. Diesel, definitely over $10. Uh, someone said to me this morning, no, the high gas prices hasn't changed the people on the road. I said, not yet. Because $9, $10, I, I think it starts to look different on our roads. And I'm not even concerned about that, honestly. It's what that does to the price of food. What happens then? And, and maybe I, I'll be very frank. St. Paul, I'm pretty sure most of us, we could absorb that. Most of us have lifestyles in this society where if the price of food went up, we might just not do something else in order to have the food. But you know what? Rockford ain't like that. Rockford's not like that at all. There's a lot of people here who are going to be very hungry if that happens. And you know what? In that regard, I'm not even that worried about food. I'm worried about what people are going to do when they're hungry and want food and how violent they might become because, you know, Rockford's already violent. Yeah. Do you see how, how bad it can get just in your head if you start telling the story? I don't mean to be mean to you or nothing. I think these things, I worry about them. What do, what do I say we should do? I say we should pray. I say we should fall on our knees and say, Jesus Christ, preserve us from violence and starvation. Maybe it's never going to come. I don't know. But uh, I know in history, what happens when godless nations do godless things is God sends wrath, and that wrath is death and destruction. And I know in history, when people turn to Jesus and pray for salvation, he saves them. He already has made us sons of God. He already has saved us from sin, death, and the devil. Does he desire our deaths? No. He desires that we would turn from our wicked ways and live. Now, can I promise you that that'll stop a nuclear bomb from falling if something happens on that level? No, I can't promise you that. And I know you have to have heard those rumors, right? How does that work out for us? I don't know. But I know this. We're here for this moment right now. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. There's a lot here in this chapter. We're going to just touch on a few pieces. I, I want you to see the call of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It's mainly verse 5. This is one I mean, I want you to highlight it. If you're going to come back to the Bible this week and look at Jeremiah again, look at chapter 1, verse 5, and believe what I'm about to tell you about it. It says, well, verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is Jeremiah's call, right? That, that before he even was out of the womb, God had decided to declare him faithful to make him a believer, and to give him the word of God in his heart so he would speak it against Hananiah, as he did. And again, the brass to stand up in the front of all those people and say, I'm the only one who's going to tell the truth. I'll tell it anyway. So it's about Jeremiah. Now, I know you've heard me say before, write this one down if you're taking notes, all prophecy is yes in Jesus. It's always about Jesus. So who did God really know before he formed him in the womb? From eternity, his only begotten son, yes? And who did he set apart in that virgin's womb? Jesus Christ, naming him, he who saves, the name Jesus, appointed to be a prophet, who? For all people, the nations, right? Go into all nations, baptize and teach. All authority is given to me. So who is the text about, Jeremiah or Jesus? The answer is yes. Okay, now remember, 
we're about to eat Jesus. We're going to come up here, and in the mystery of bread and wine, the flesh and blood of the risen Son of God is going to enter your body, your mind, your heart, all of you, making you together the body of Christ, the church. And by that truth, by that promise, guess who else this text is about? You. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, by prophet, what do I mean? Do I mean someone who has visions about the future? No. Do I mean someone who hears what God says and speaks it faithfully? Yes. So again, for such a time as this, right now, with whatever else is going on in this world, you've been set here today to have your heart reminded that your whole life is really about hearing the word of God and keeping it in such a way that it comes out of your mouth again so that the world around you filled with darkness is now having to contend with the light that's alive in you. Yes, and by that light, by all means, others will see the straight path that opens for your feet according to the word of your God who is seeking to preserve you and to send you good things. Yes, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial. And we'll come back to Jeremiah 29 here in a moment. But I want to emphasize, it. you aren't here on accident. Things aren't going wrong because God doesn't know. Quite the other way around. God is doing this and he's put you here right now to know it, to praise him, to repent before him, and to shout about his victory over death in the midst of all of it. And I am convinced, St. Paul, that as that city on a hill on this corner, our future is bright, no matter what else comes our way. Even if we're dealing with all sorts of crazy things that we can't imagine, it will be good for our faith. Because that's the way it always is. And that is the message of Jeremiah. Let's jump over to 29, that text we heard read earlier. Because this really is an image of all times, all places, for we who are not Jewish by birth, but are Gentile sinners, as Paul calls us. Gentile sinners converted to believe in the one true God and now left to sojourn in the wilderness of this earth without a homeland, without a city that we can call our own. There is no Christian nation, and there maybe never has been one. Have there been Christian kings? Yes. Have there been Christian American presidents? Probably. But to believe that somehow we're going to establish a nation state that's going to last forever, that's not a promise in Scripture. Quite the opposite. We are sojourners and pilgrims. Or, to use this other image from the Old Testament, we are in the exile. So here we are in Babylon, captive, right? Prisoners with a yoke set upon us while we wait to go back to the promised land. That's the resurrection. Chapter 29 then is Jeremiah speaking for God about what we're to do while we're here. What we're to be while we're here. Starting at verse 4, thus says the Lord, that's Jesus, right? Thus says Jesus, the God of armies the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent 
into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's to all you sinners ruined by the fall. We've lost Eden. We're in this cursed earth. Here's what he says to you in Jesus. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, it's not saying go build mansions. It's saying live in your home. Love your neighbor. See what's around you. Care about your street. That's a good work. That's what life's supposed to be about. And then you don't have to go plant tomatoes and squash in your backyard. And by all means, don't try to live on just tomatoes and squash. It it won't go well, I promise. Uh, uh, But it does mean go find food. Help others find food. Make sure that we can eat. Make sure your family can eat. Now, this isn't surprising to us, but again, since this is the command, stop being afraid this won't be available. Since this is the life he said, live this while you're here, stop thinking daily bread's going to go away. Psalm 37 is very clear. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his sons begging for bread. And again, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus will provide what you need. Our biggest problem is we think we need more than what we really need. That's that covetousness we talked about earlier. So again, live in your home and your neighborhood. It's a good work. Buy food. Be part of the trade. Help the economy as you can. That's a good work. But then this bit about taking wives, having children, seeing your grandchildren. If there's a place we might want to repent, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, it's this one. It's this one. Uh, Here's some science. If you only have two children per family, your people group will not survive more than a few generations. There's nothing you can do about it. Whatever you believe, whatever you think is important, whatever you create, your people group will fall apart. You need 2.3 children per household for your community to survive. This is just demographic, secular research. Now, The United States hovers somewhere down around two, mostly because of minority immigrant populations who have not yet been converted to the American way of life, and so they still value children. But generally, within a generation, they get brainwashed too. But you, LCMS, I'm talking to the whole here, ah, we gave up this ghost quite a while ago. We're, We're really not even having two per family. Certainly not three, certainly not five. Now, the opposite argument for this, I can hear it already, is Pastor Fisk says women have to have 10 kids and be barefoot and pregnant, and that's all they can do. It's that that's going to get cursed, is that attitude. What I'm saying is God says having families is good, and having children is the best. And you can't really have too many. It's not really possible. Because the more of them you have, the better life's going to go in the next generation. Another demographic scientific fact, economies 
thrive with larger people groups on the bottom. Guess what having the baby boomer population look like this and then the current younger population to look like this does to an economy? You don't have to guess. You don't have to guess. You can, you can watch it. We don't have enough on the base to support the top of the pyramid. It's upside down. So again, what am I saying? Do you have to go out and have kids right now? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is we as a people need to embrace the fact that God loves families. In fact, he loves big families. And he wants to give us children. And in that regard, we need to be encouraging our children to have children. I went to a youth event where I was a speaker. Oh, it was 15 years ago, maybe. No, it can't be that, that far. 12 years ago, early in my ministry. And it was only a small event. There were, there were maybe 40 kids, something like that. And they wanted me to do something with the boys and the girls separately. So, so I did a big thing with the whole group. And he's like, okay, girl breakout, boy breakout. Okay. And I, I, so what I planned to do was I, I asked them, I asked them what their goals in life were. I wanted them to name their top five goals. And they had to write it down. And so they all did it. They're all writing down their goals. And so I asked the girls, you know, after that. So how many of you, I don't know how I said it, you know, how high on your list is having kids? Not on the list. Boys, same problem. Now, you might think girls should want it more than boys. I say it's the other way around. Men should want sons and daughters more than women do. And women should want them pretty badly. But what's in the water right now for our young people has got them thinking it's not even a good idea. There's too much to do in life. Kids are going to get in the way. That's what we need to repent of as a body, as a body, as a whole, not just St. Paul and really not even the LCMS, American Christianity as a whole. It's not about having as many kids as you can. It's about believing that having kids is good and it's what the future is about. It's not about amassing things, right? It's about passing forward what you believe about Jesus to another generation. And, I mean, if you can see it, believing that that's why you're going to see them in the future. One of my greatest dreams, I, I, I honestly hope Jesus ends the world like soon, okay? So this won't happen if he does that. But I kind of like this idea of being in paradise, the, the new heavens and the new earth. And, you know, I've left my avocado garden for the day and I'm off walking in the mountains nearby. Yeah? And, and I come to a little campfire and I sit down and I start talking to some guy. And I find out he's my great, 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 great grandson. And I say, well, goodness gracious, what was life like? You're a Christian. How'd it happen? Tell me about it. Who, who's your favorite character in the Bible? I think that's a neat dream. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about is recapturing that way of thinking about our families. Yeah. Everything else we see all the way down to those Florida laws and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's just, it's crust. It's crust. It's crust on the top of the poison. At the root is this, that there is no greater work than multiplying your people. Hmm? All right. Verse seven, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Notice it doesn't say state or nation. They didn't quite have things the same way back then. Seek the welfare of the city where I have driven you into exile and pray to Jesus on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Yeah? 
Now, it doesn't say get into politics, but it doesn't say don't get into politics. Seek the welfare of the city. Do what's good. Right? Try to make it as good as you can. And, and uh, if it's not clear, pro-life voting is where it's at. We need to be caring about the least of these in our midst, especially locally here in Rockford, where we don't have a Planned Parenthood facility. Did you hear that news this week? Planned Parenthood is making some changes. Not only are they going to be providing abortions, but now transition therapy. Ah, yeah, it's, it's all about this. It's all about this. Uh, pray for Rockford. Pray for Illinois. Seek its welfare, but know that no matter what you do, what you need most is for God to raise up good leaders, faithful leaders. Ask Jesus for a better governor. Don't go try to get one yourself. And then, by all means, put your hand to the task. If it's up to you to vote, vote. But don't believe that that's what it's about. It's about having a God who's king of the universe, who's going to do whatever he needs to do to wake you up. And so, if he's waking us up, good. Why don't we pray he wake more people up? Huh? And why don't we be a voice that's crying in the wilderness for people to wake up? Seek the good of the city you're in. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Verse 8, do not let your prophets, your diviners who are among you, deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. This is where none of us pastors can tell you what's going to happen. I can't. I'm not a prophet. Huh? All I can do is tell you it looks bad. We need to pray. But don't listen to those who are telling you this, that, or the other things in the future. And they will, especially on the television. Christians especially. They're trying to tell you how it's about the end times, this and that, and you can see rush, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist. But don't believe that stuff. Don't believe that stuff. Just, just put your knees in the dust yeah, and seek the good of the city. For verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed. Remember that from chapter 25? He already said 70 years. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So for the people of old, this meant that after 70 years, a cry would go up from Cyrus, king of Persia, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Daniel was probably alive to watch that happen. Nehemiah and Ezra were the ones who did it. Zerubbabel, the descendant of Jehoiachin, he was the one who led them and was their governor. And from Zerubbabel eventually comes Jesus the Christ, okay? So the promise is there that after the right amount of time, after the time God is set, he'll bring back prosperity because he knows the plans he has for us. Verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares Jesus, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He intends for your life to be good. The question is, do you have the right measurements for good? Look at how he defines good in 12. You will call on me. That's a good life, a life of prayer to Jesus. You will call on me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. That sounds like Jesus. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask it shall be given. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares Jesus. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places I have driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. That's about the resurrection of the dead and our life in paradise. But it is also a promise 
that times of suffering and punishing upon the churches of God in this world in which we live are seasons. They're seasons. They come and they go. And the church remains. Nations rise and fall. The church remains. Guess what is kept going every week since Jesus ascended into heaven? That meal never stopped. Not going to stop either. So take hope in that and know that whatever we have to walk through now, if the storms come, if the flood rises, you are in the holy ark. You're in the boat. And the boat is the body of Jesus. The boat is you, the body of Jesus. Us gathered around these words and we can know he hears us. You want a different world out there around the corner? Ask for it. It's hard to answer prayers when no one's praying. Yeah? And St. Paul, I know, I know you are. I know you certainly have begun. I know we're, we're hitching up our sleeves and, and digging our feet in. And that's why I'm pushing you so hard. Because it is for such a time as this. It is right now that you've been consecrated for. And he does hear your words. I got one more thing to say to you. We're right at 45 minutes. And that's this. It's a challenge. The challenge, I gave it to the first service. So I want to make sure you get it too. This isn't going to happen this week. I doubt it. But maybe... In a two-year period, this can happen. So I want you to pray for it. I want you, I want us to be the kind of people who quote the Bible to other people without having to quote the Bible. Does that make sense? I want you to make it a game to see if you can memorize just a couple of phrases. Your favorite ones, best thing Jesus said, whatever it was. You know, don't throw pearls before swine. They can be that one if you want. He's got a lot of them. And I want you to see if you can make a habit of inserting the word of God into the world. Don't quote chapter and verse and thump your Bible so everyone knows how smart you are. In fact, be kind of glad if no one picked up on it. Just see if you can scatter the seed. Scatter the seed. And again, just pray about that. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Yeah? Because again, I guarantee you, St. Paul, as we become that kind of people set apart from before birth to be prophets of God right now with his word upon our lips, the sun is going to shine brighter. And even if we're surrounded by muck and filth and destruction with everyone else wallowing down in it going, oh, poor as us, we're going to have our heads held high. We're going to lift them up. We're going to stand firm. We're going to be built on a rock like a tree planted by streams of water. Yes. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. In the name of Jesus.